his mind. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, witch, and you can find her at MissAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find her at TarotByGinger.com. And she's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And you can find her at TarotByGinger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Lindsay Eastburn and... We are going to talk about hypnofertility. Thanks for coming on today. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. So how does uh, hypnosis and fertility work? Hypnosis and fertility is kind of an interesting combination because hypnosis has been known for, you know, things like smoking and weight loss Mm -hmm. forever. Um, It's been utilized for childbirth. And about 20 or so years ago, no one was actually using hypnosis for fertility. And um, fertility has become quite a problem over the last uh, couple of decades or so. And what kind of happened for me was I had a general hypnotherapy practice with my husband, and then women who were having trouble conceiving started to come in and ask for assistance. Part of it for them was needle phobias, because if you're undergoing medical treatment like in vitro, you have to take a lot of injections. So you just cannot be, you know, having issues with needles. And then at that time, so technology's changed quite a bit since then. But at that time, uh, people were being told that they weren't candidates for IVF and that maybe they couldn't be helped at all. And they would come in to see me to address that. And what ended up happening was uh, babies, was Mm unexpected babies, natural babies, and babies just kind of started showing up. Part of that was the spirit baby aspect. Um, Women would come in and say, you know, I've been told I can't have a baby, but I know that I can. I can feel that there's a baby there. And I would start from there. And so next thing I knew, you know, it just just spoke to me. It's always spoken to me. Next thing I knew, I had... Um, a specialty, and I was teaching, and I was writing books, and well, here I am. Incredible. So, what? How does for how does hypnosis work on the human body to allow it to conceive? So, I always call hypnosis the antithesis of stress. Um, people undergoing uh, infertility or struggling with fertility are under a lot of stress. There's also kind of a hypnosis that's out there. So sometimes I say that I'm dehypnotizing people. Um, there's an expectation that it's going to be difficult to get pregnant. Some of that is because people are waiting um, later. They're waiting, you know, till their careers are well mm-hmm. underway, that kind of thing. So you see a lot of stress, um, and then that's compounded. It's very frustrating. Um, so... One of the things, hypnosis is multifaceted, but one of the areas that it works with like automatically is, of course, stress, anxiety, that fight or flight. When the body's in fight or flight, you know, it doesn't want to get pregnant. All the energy is diverted. We need to run. We need to fight. We need to hide. But we do not need to be getting pregnant or giving birth. And so when we can counter the fight or flight response, which we really shouldn't be in, all that often. It's, you know, it's an emergency situation for us, but we're in it way too much. When we can counter the fight or flight, then what we have is rest and digest or feed and breed. And that is the ideal, you know, space to be in, environment Mm. for the body for someone to get pregnant. Hmm. Is there any, any, because I've interviewed other people about this topic. One of the other things that has come up was people who had trauma and, and the trauma somehow subconsciously made them feel like they were going to be inadequate parents, which then blocked them from being able to conceive. 
Certainly. And that's, that's just one of the other, you know, there's so many layers to it. The subconscious mind, um, it's protective of us and it responds. The language of the subconscious mind is emotion. It is, uh, imagery. You know, it is metaphor. It is not, you know, our linear language. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. And it responds to strong emotion. And so any type of trauma, and it may not even be, you know, conception related or pregnancy related that a person has experienced. If the subconscious, which tends to work with sort of what's closest or what's at hand, if it deems that um, to be problematic, then it it can put in a block or stop people from conceiving. Unfortunately, the subconscious mind is protecting us, but then it's causing a whole bunch of other issues, um, mainly, you know, wanting to get pregnant, not being able to. Hmm. So so what is the success rate on, on this type of treatment? So people like to ask about success rates. Um, it's a little bit difficult to tell, of course, because people aren't necessarily getting pregnant uh, sitting in my office or sitting in my chair. Um, but it's actually very high. And just for fun, I went over, um, what was it, about 2021, I think, I went over my statistics for the year and found out I had 75% um, people who had, you know, they were pregnant or they had whatever, sometimes mm-hmm. they're into uh, get, you know, freezer eggs or whatnot. I had, um, was the balance of it? We're still in progress and 1% was unknown. So when you look at tech, uh, techie procedures or medical procedures, if you're not counting all sorts of, uh, other contributors, you're looking at maybe 30%. Hmm. But I don't like to get caught up in success rates mm-hmm. because getting, you know, getting pregnant, is awesome, but I like to say the baby's the icing on the cake. There's just so much else um, that we can work on, and I like to help people to what I what I call get their lives back, mm-hmm. because the fertility issue is all consuming, and it can affect relationships and not just partnerships, but friendships, family. Um, you know, it because it's all consuming. A person can just be thinking about fertility related things all the time. And even when they're having a conversation with you in the back of their mind, they're thinking about what cycle day is it? What clinic should I go to? Do I like that doctor? Do I want to change? Should I do IVF? Do I want to, you know, all of that is, is just going on constantly. Hmm. Um, what are some of the obstacles? Like, do you use the same technique for everybody or when somebody comes to you, do you have to talk with them, kind of figure out what the root cause is, and then address those root causes? Yeah, so I don't do, you know, it's not a canned program. I don't do the same thing with everyone. I do an interview, find out what's going on. I get kind of a snapshot. And those those who are struggling with fertility, I don't like to call it infertility because it's anti-hypnotic, but fertility struggles, they have a kind of a condensed version of what's going on. I've been trying to conceive for three years. This is the diagnosis or not diagnosis, you know, whatever's going on for them. So I want to get that. And then as I'm talking to them, I'm also an intuitive and I also connect with spirit babies. And so that is coming forth at the same time. I developed the program uh, with, I guess you could say, classic or classical hypnosis techniques. Mm-hmm. And then put my spin on it, of course, plus I'm trained in Reiki and other energy um, modalities. And so I apply it as, you know, as I'm guided to, basically, as I work with each person. So I didn't know there was a metaphysical angle to this about, like, these baby spirits. Like, before um, these women get pregnant, you're able to maybe speak with some of these unborn children? Basically, what I do is I tune into them or they contact me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of joke with my clients that they're not my clients. The babies are my clients and they just get to pay the bill. Um, but yes, I am, I've always been sensitive to them. Always, even since I was a little kid. And even when I, when I initially started in my hypnotherapy practice, I tried to stay kind of arts and sciences, right? Art and science of hypnosis. And 
you know, touch maybe a little bit on the spiritual aspect, but that's a huge piece. And the Mm -hmm. babies were having none of me not acknowledging them. And so that has been something that is really um, just increased and increased over the years. So where do these baby souls come from? Are they reincarnated souls? Are they new souls? Is it just energy? What is it? That's actually a good question. And I think there's definitely different opinions Mm -hmm. on that. There's a thing now called spare baby readers. There, there never used to be. There, you know, you would go to a psychic and the psychic would say, are you going to have three kids? Are you going to have a boy and a girl or whatever? Those kinds of things might tell them a little bit about, um, you know, about their children. But now it's actually a specialty and there's a lot of readers and that's what they do is, is spirit babies and they communicate with them, um, in various ways and have various, um, information for people. For me, it's, I have the communication, but it's more of, I have the tools to get them here. So I am not, I don't like to call myself psychic. My husband's like, um, yeah, psychic, but I don't like to go that direction because of the, um, way that I work with clients Mm -hmm. and I am claircognizant. So the information drops into my head, drops into my awareness. And I just know that. And, um, yeah, so then I sense the baby as I'm talking to people and then it kind of evolves from there, if that makes sense. Hmm. Are there good baby souls and bad baby souls? And like, like, is there some, like, like, you know what? Maybe you don't want to have this one. He's not going to be the best kid for you. You know, I don't get that. I don't personally. I have seen this, you know, with other readers, but it's not what I experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, I actually work with a, a particular uh, genre, if you want to call them that, or cohort of spirit babies that call themselves the pink starlights. I started working with, you know, spirit babies, babies, you know, you've probably heard of indigo children and mm-hmm. crystals and that kind of thing. I've worked with spirit babies and I just really wasn't attached to whether they were any of these things. And, um, and then as this continued to, you know, unfold, about 2016, I became aware that I was working with uh, babies that had their own, you know, name, their own title, their own job, if you will, their own purpose, and they call themselves the Pink Starlights. And so these are the ones that basically I focus on. And these guys, they're pink, not because they're girls, it's not a girl-boy thing. It is unconditional love. And it is that heart chakra. And they have a very special purpose, which is to help they're, you know, they're, they're um, incredible healers and it's to help raise the vibrations and help to heal the planet, the people on it, but also the planet. And they have a particular type of, you know, parent that they need. I always say that they're strategically placing themselves, but the folks that I work with tend to be on an arduous fertility journey. I call it an initiation, not always, but most of the time. So to answer that, the babies that I'm working with, um, I'm, that's not an area that I'm in, uh, definitely have heard of it, but it's not what I, what I end up with. Hmm. So, so the, the, the pink starlight children, like, where are they coming from? Like, do they come from heaven, God, like, where is it happening? So I have a hard time to answer that just because so many people have so many opinions on what that is. And, you know, God and heaven could be the same thing or not the same thing. So the energetic realm, I call it like the other side, the ethereal realm, um, you know, the world of energy coming here to be in the world of solid. Now, I know that there are various, um, it depends who you're talking to. There's various levels, various planes, various dimensions. Um so I don't, I'm not really attached to that. Hmm. So they come through, they're very angelic, like, and I don't mean that they're, yeah, that they're just kind of floating around on clouds, but that type of healing, helping energy. I mean, they're tough um, because they have a big job to handle, but they're also very intelligent and um, they, they just come through with so many of I guess you could say advanced healing tools that they need. I mean, they have to start immediately as soon as they get here. And so part of it is, is vibrational. They're bringing an energy in. So are they picky 
about what parents they choose to have. Like, do they get to choose which parents they're going to have? Because if they have, like, a specific mission in this life, I would imagine that they have to go through certain, uh, I don't know, situations and learn certain things and adopt certain traits from their parents in order to be successful. Yes, they are picky. Um, and that's why I talk about the initiation. So most of their parents are, or mothers, they tend to anchor to their mothers, but parents as well. Um, but they have been struggling and they need to struggle because if you just had your baby, um, you wouldn't have to think about it. You know, you take it for granted and away you go. You have your, you know, your babies and your, you know, your house and your white picket fence, your dog and the whole thing. That's not that, and that's fine. That's wonderful, but that's not where these babies are at. They tend to favor older parents, um, but not again. There's always the exception to the rule. Um, some people have, you could call it a contract, I guess, to come through and work with them, or you know, parent them on a bit of a, you know, from a bit of a different um, standpoint. I guess you could say they do. Their parents have to have done their work or be doing their work. They do not have time to deal with people who are just, I hate to say the term not evolved, but there's just different levels. There's those of us that are doing our work there and we're involved and we're never done. But those who are what I call a five o'clock world and they're just really not interested in anything like this, the babies don't have time. The pink starlights don't have time for that. I'm an indigo myself, which I discovered in hindsight a few years ago. But what indigos ended up coming through to was a lot of times trauma or difficulty, a hard um, childhood or hard life because they had to be strong and they had to start breaking down uh, barriers and we had to be able to fight. And now the pink starlights, that's not where they're at. So they they need to be coming in to parents who are... Uh, awakened or enlightened or open, open-minded, so that they can um, get their needs met right from the right from the beginning. Hmm. So you started to say like soul contract. That's something I've covered quite a bit on this show. Um, so, so you believe that? Do you think that, that just like certain beings, like indigo children and the pink starlights, are ones who come down and have like a contract and agreement that they're going to do, or do you think that is something that everybody agrees? You know, it's hard to say because we have so many ways of expressing things. And sometimes I think it's difficult to use, you know, words like the English language or any language to describe right. some of this, what this might be. Um, I do. Well, I'll tell you, my son, who's 28, he's he kind of started this and he came through as a spirit baby and told me that I was having him and I wasn't supposed to have another child. So I have gotten some insight from him. And, uh, you know, he told me, and he was telling me this as soon as he could talk, he was telling me this before he was born that, that they pick their parents or we pick our parents. And I do think that we do. I don't know if it's a contract per se. Maybe it is. I know that if I consciously could pick the childhood I had, I would not, but I can see and feel, and I know that I am what I am because of it. So that it was, it was very much needed for me to experience that. What happens to babies that die during childbirth? You know, in my experience, and I do um, chat with them and have them um, chat with their parents or their moms. We can do like an interactive process where we can bring baby through and they can talk. And it's funny because I, I've mentioned this where, you know, aborted babies and things like that, people kind of expect that they're going to be mad, that they're going to be, hey, what did you do to me? Um, but they're not. It's part of the process. It just needs to happen. It is part of our experience. It's part, I mean, it sucks. It's horrible. Some mm -hmm. of the traumas that we experience as human beings, but on a grander scale, if you want to say that, you know, in a bigger picture, it, it's necessary. Is there any chance that some of these souls and babies are possibly extraterrestrial origin, like starseeds? Oh, absolutely. And, um, we hear a lot, we're hearing a lot about star seeds these days. And, and it's kind of interesting because I, there was, you heard about them a lot, then you didn't, then you sort of had indigos, crystals, rainbows. Now the star seeds are like the umbrella and people are indigo star seeds and so forth. Um, 
I have a guide who I guess you could call uh, him extraterrestrial. He came through to me um, through automatic writing, and this was this was also part of the time that kicked off this work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And he's also an infinity symbol, but he has he has a face of I don't know, you can almost describe him as a gray. Um, I don't get too much into that, but you know that look that people saw mm-hmm. um, at that time, and uh, but he he came through to me, and then he gave me what I call the three keys to conception, which is. What really kicked all of this off with hypnofertility? So I say hypnofertility, you know, in 2000 people coming into my office, that's the hypnosis and fertility part. But it backs up to way before then with uh, my guide, which I call Orb, or he calls himself Orb, um, downloading to me what I call the three keys to conception. And um, so absolutely, to answer your question, yes, for sure. And I know, I know a couple of spirit baby readers and they get a little bit more specifically into the extraterrestrial aspect. There's just so many, so many layers, so many levels, so many ways to go with this that I had to learn that I can't know everything about all of it. So what are the three keys that Orb told you about? So this was really fun and interesting. So we did this, um, I did this class and we were doing this exercise and everyone's guides came in and then we were practicing at home. So my guide gave me one word, the word meditate. And this, you know, we practiced and practiced. We did it at home and so forth. All I got was one word. All the other people, their guides are giving them, you know, all sorts of information. I'm like, how come my guide doesn't talk? I get meditate, meditate, meditate over and over again. And after a few weeks, I got a second word. Listen. So, you know, before I'm going, I am meditating, I am meditating, give me something. So then I get listen. I'm like, seriously? So listen goes on for a little while, and then I get the word trust. Meditate, listen, trust. And these, actually, truly the three keys to conception, but also the three keys to life. Meditate is not literally meditation, though it can be, but it is going into the silence or it's hypnosis, it's walking in nature, it's soaking in the bath, it's shutting off the screens and just getting away from the noise, you know, uh, walking in nature, if I didn't say that. Um, and that, when we're doing those things, enables us to listen. Especially struggling with fertility, intuition gets beaten up, okay? And and we can really lose lose sight of our intuition, or I always say fear masquerades as intuition. So women, especially when they're, you know, so caught up in it and it's just so difficult, suddenly they just can't, can't grasp their intuition. So they're not sure. And then there's so much pressure. There's so much fear in, there's aggression in this, in this area. And so it's hard for them to hear and then also to trust. And so when we implement those keys, then we can actually start to hear the intuition and then to trust what we know needs to happen. Trust the baby, trust your body, trust your mind, trust, you know, trust. Trust would have to be the hardest, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're not good at it as humans. I mean, no matter where we are on our paths and no matter what the focus, it's we're just not good at it because we kind of want to know everything. I had a client, she told me, Years ago, she said, well, if I could just have a psychic tell me that I'm going to give birth on like November 5th, you know, uh, 2021, um, then I wouldn't, then I would know and I would trust it and I would worry. And I said, no, you wouldn't. You would continue to wonder if the psychic was right and if that was really going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, you're right. Because that's what we do. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't trust anything really because like I feel like I was just, thrown into this world randomly, you know, with with no direction, n- no instruction. And sometimes I even wonder if there's purpose to it. Mm-hmm. So, so how am I supposed to trust a system where, you know, even if I agreed to all this beforehand, and I, I don't remember it now, and I'm, right. and I'm supposed to trust that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, we have words like trust, we have words like faith, um, we definitely explore, you know, people and people have different ways of looking at things, looking into things. Mm-hmm. Certainly trust is, is not an easy one. 
it kind of depends what direction you want to go with that. So for me, I mean, this dropped into my lap, sort of. I It was say yes or no. Do you want to do this or not? So I said yes. I trusted it. I went with it. I had no idea I was going to end up here, but I could. I'm very analytical as well. I could have analyzed it to death. I could have, you know, um, pulled it all apart and I could have tried to control it. And but part of my journey has been balancing the left hemisphere, the right hemisphere, the, you know, the subconscious and the conscious mind. And so it was a piece of trust that was there. Hmm. Are angels ever born into human form? I don't know. I, again, you know, for me, nothing is black and white. And so I wouldn't necessarily, it's like, how do you define an angel? Because I know that people experience them differently. In my world, I've had, you know, angels kind of advising me. I, I was doing a lot of work with angels before um, I conceived my son. Now, he had come to me before that, kind of dropped this bombshell on me. Hey, you're going to have a uh, baby and it's me and my name is Dylan and this is what's going to happen. And, um, but it, it was at a time when I was really starting to explore, um, the spirituality aspect of my life more so. And I was doing a lot with angels at the time. Um, after he, not, not when he came through, but eventually it kind of evolved to that or it, it um, unfolded that way. So I received a lot of information or energy from the angels. I do believe they facilitated a lot of this, whether or not they would actually consider themselves being born as humans. Again, uh, for me, it's really hard to be black and white. Then it's kind of like define a human, define an angel, define, you know, all these different things. Sorry if that's not a really clear answer, but mm -hmm. that's kind of my world. Well, that's true. It's hard to define the types of type of beings to begin with. You know, our, our language is limited in what we can communicate. Um, how did they communicate with you? Did it, you said you were clear, clear cognizant. So that means you just receive information and, and you just know things. Yeah. Um, how does that work for you? Do you have to meditate and then you get that information? Does it just come to you at weird times of the day, like when you're taking a shower? What happens? You know, all of the above. Uh, meditation certainly helps, but yeah, it just downloads to me. And... And I have actually experienced migraines when the energy has come through so hard and so fast and so much that I have to kind of say, whoa, 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 we're bottlenecking here. Um, let's ease up a little bit. But I really, yeah, there's, I just, I just know things. And I'll be talking to a client. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and, um, you know, I said to her, I said, a boy's coming through. Do you know what your embryo is? They have one. She said, yeah, it's a boy. Okay. Um, so those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll, throw them out there and then see, you know, what people, you know, what that's, how that's being received or, or that kind of thing. I just know things. And it's interesting to be claircognizant because sometimes people think that you think that you always have to be right, but it's not that. It's just that when we do know things, we just know, we just do when we can't necessarily explain how that is. Right. Being claircognizant is interesting because I, I'm a, I like to consider myself a little bit Clear, clear cognizant too as long as I don't analyze it but but once I start putting my own analytical data into it that's where things get kind of messed up yeah and and that certainly does happen for us and and you know I find for me it's a it's learning to step away this has been a really big part of my path and a struggle in some ways because I am analytical. I'm a visual learner. Um, I'm really, I was really good in, in school. Um, you know, school's really easy for me. Writing papers is easy. As you can see behind me, I have like a library of books. I love books. So I'm very left-brained, but then at the same time, very intuitive, right-brained, always open. I mean, I was like eight years old. I was watching like Yuri Geller on Merv Griffin, you know, back mm -hmm. in the day. I was anything too. <laughs> for you. Actually, yeah. Oh my there. gosh. Yeah. yeah. Or Donahue or one of those guys back mm -hmm. in the 70s. But yeah, and I was just fascinated and I learned, well, I didn't actually learn it, but I, I knew reflexology when I was eight, like the points on the bottoms of the feet and the hands. And I would be telling adults this and they would be kind of like, you're kind of crazy. But 
Um, I was always attracted to it. This stuff always came through to me. So it's really been a balance. And for the longest time, because I work with clinics, I work with reproductive endocrinologists. I work the medical side of this. I don't work in a clinic, but I do work with that side of this and also with the spirit baby aspect and the energy and, um, all of that. So I have sort of a unique position, I suppose, because I feel like I'm walking with one foot in, in, uh, each world. Hmm. Yeah, that has to be tricky, you know, and, and there are skeptics, obviously. I do ever come across people when you're working with certain clients where the doctors or whoever else they're working with is skeptical about what you're doing? Oh, sure. Now, I've been around a long time, so people have usually heard of me in some capacity or someone that I've trained at this point. Because when I started doing this, there was no hypnofertility. You know, people had maybe used it here and there to help someone, but the word didn't exist. No one was focusing on it. So at that time, and these babies started showing up, clients were taking uh, my information to their clinics, fertility clinics, and they were like, yeah, uh, no, I don't think so. And they're, oh, those are just anecdotal babies. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of anecdotal babies. You know, they don't care if they call them anecdotal if you want. They're here. And, you know, clients would rather have an anecdotal baby than a piece of paper saying the baby, you know, here's a study that says this baby can or can't exist, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean... The thing too is hypnosis, it's getting more and more mainstream. And there are a lot of, there is quite a bit of research on it and especially on like things like anxiety and PTSD now. Um, but yeah, skeptics, um, even that the thing is that you don't have to believe in it mm. for it to be effective. People tend to come to hypnosis as a last resort. And I often say they'll be, you know, just, out of hope and out of money and don't believe it and just fed up and they still have, you know, success. And that's hypnosis in, in all sorts of capacities, not just fertility. Um, but the funny thing too is especially the clinics now where I live, I'm in Colorado and there's a couple of the biggest clinics in the world here. Uh, at least three of them now, I guess. And what happens, what's sort of happening there was when they, because there's a 25% uh, diagnosis of unexplained infertility, which basically means they don't know what it is. They don't know. There doesn't seem to be an issue or they, if there is, they don't know what it is. And when they would do their protocols or when everything that should work didn't work, they sent them to me. You got to go see Lindsay. I don't know what else to do. Throw up my hands. It should have worked. That should have worked. We did every protocol under the sun. Um, you know, go see Lindsay. And so even they were kind of skeptical of me. And at the same time, there's that unknown. There is a piece that is unknown. That is the mystery. And for me as a hypnotist, it's like, oh, okay, unexplained infertility. Well, that says subconscious mind to me. That says, you know, mm -hmm. subconscious blocks or, or things like that. But even to the clients, they absolutely hated to be told it was unexplained because they felt like, Okay, if you give me a diagnosis, then I know what you can do. We can do surgery or we can do whatever needs to happen, and then it's fixed, and then I have my baby. When it's unexplained, you're free-falling. Hmm. But they have to know or be aware that stress is also a factor in fertility. And the more, oh, yeah. re the more relaxed and the more clear and, and the better you know, the energy is flowing through the body, the better chances a person is of having a baby. It's known, but it's not always what's focused on. We've really separated ourselves out as mind, body, spirit. And so the, the medical side tends to work on the body. And that's just not their specialty, the stress mm -hmm. reduction or any of that kind of thing. It's more and more incorporated now because it's very consumer driven. And, you know, patients, clients, people want this type of assistance. And so it is actually more and more uh, becoming, like I said, almost mainstream, not just hypnosis, but acupuncture, um, massage, other things yeah. like that. Hmm. Have you ever come across a difficult case where you had trouble figuring out or helping a person conceive? Uh, okay. That's kind of a tough question because it's not... Um, there's various parameters. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And usually what happens, I work with people roughly for 12 sessions, sometimes more, sometimes less. These days, typically 12, because nobody comes to me that doesn't have like a lot going on. And for me, I am a problem solver. So I continue to work with things and change gears. And um, I also have people sometimes that I will refer to that I feel like maybe this little piece is missing. Hypnosis tends to be uh, what I call the missing link or that piece of the puzzle that ties everything together. So it's not contraindicated to anything. Um, at the same time, it's, it's like this is an energetic modality as well. And we don't always know what that shift was. I can help people release blocks that I don't know they have or they don't know they have. Or the blocks might come forth. A lot of times the blocks they think they have are not blocks. Um, things that we would never expect to be blocks end up being blocks. It's, it's really kind of interesting how that works. I think of, I had a, a client that was a doctor and she had lost two babies, um, well into the pregnancies, I think around 20 weeks and 16 or 24, something like that, about four weeks apart anyway. Um, and tons and tons and tons of stress and then tons of trauma with all of that. And, um, and then just working with her to help her to get grounded and be able to hear her intuition and all the things that she was trying so hard to do or not do because this issue uh, really lends itself to um, straining and stressing people over control. And when we were finally able to help her get into a grounded space and actually look into moving in a different direction, she conceived naturally, um, had her baby and... You know, I don't know if that answers your question, but I don't really see things open ended. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I can't tell you about every single person I've ever seen um, because I don't know. I don't see all of them. I don't get the baby picture on the other side of all of them. But that doesn't mean they didn't have a baby. And sometimes I find that out when somebody comes in and says, I was at the park and I met this lady and she had this eight year old and I was telling her about, you know, secondary infertility. And she said, Oh, I saw Lindsay and uh, this is what happened. And I had no idea because they had their baby and they moved on or the baby showed up a little bit later. Do you know what I'm saying? Hmm. When you do this, um, did babies ever name themselves? Yes. They do. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's really funny because sometimes the parents don't want the name. And I remember one named uh, Maeve, little Maeve. And this mother did not like that name, did not want that name. No way was that baby having that name. And then I get a little announcement that Maeve has been born. Hmm. What made it change your mind, I wonder? Uh, Maeve did. Probably. <laughs> they, they know what they want. My son mm -hmm. did that. He said, my name is Dylan James. And that was that. And when I got pregnant with him, which great, thank goodness I like the names. Um, it was also though at a time of Beverly Hills 90210 and he was not named after Dylan from 90210, but mm -hmm. he did go to school with about 400 other Dylans of the same age, which was, um, kind of interesting, but everyone said he was a girl. Uh, and it was, you know, it wasn't a blood test at that time. It was uh, ultrasound, but they really couldn't get a good, uh, a good, you know, picture. And I just knew he was a boy. He told me he was a boy. And so even though everyone thought he was a girl, he was a boy. He was named Dylan James. And, and he'll talk to you. He's 28 years old. He'll tell you about this stuff. When he was 16, he would talk to, he talked to some of my clients, um, you know, from time to time. And he, this is not his, at least at the moment, his path. Um, but he's still very much in touch with it. Yeah. When women wants to get pregnant, did he still come to you, or do you in, do you encourage them to develop like a psychic type of relationship, or use telepathy to communicate with the child while it's still in the womb? Oh, absolutely! To connect with the the child beforehand, I always say our babies are our babies, whether they're you know in in energy form, spirit form, or whether they're here with us. And most of the time they are connected with them. Sometimes they're not when there has been some kind of trauma um, or just other things that and not necessarily directly related, but when there there's just they've been through a lot. And so sometimes it is working on, you know, opening or reinforcing that connection. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, um, 
you know, and I talked to them at my grandson, um, he's just four months old and, um, I connected with him and he's a, a little pink starlight and I've been connected with him all along and I used to go visit him and we would, um, you know, kind of fly around together is the way that I would put it. And, uh, and I've got him on video. I mean, I, I watch him on Wednesday or Thursdays. That's my day. Today was uh, Thursday with Theodore for me. And, uh, and I said, do you remember when grandma came to see you and we'd fly around and then he'll wave his little arms, even when he was like teeny tiny, like five, six weeks old. So, um, and then I was connected with him when he was in the womb. Everyone said he was a girl except me. And I even had a dream about him. And he said, well, they did the blood test and it's going to come back that I'm a boy. And I said, well, I know, we know, right? And, uh, and actually both my sons, the one that is my spirit baby, well, they both are sort of, but the one that kicked all this off is not his child. He was certain it was a girl. And so was, um, well, my other son was kind of up in the air, but every, and so anyway, they both had to tell me on the same day that mother was right. Hmm. I said, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of what I do. So what role does the man play in this process? Do, do, do you have to interact with the male also, the partner, or is it all strictly the female? Sometimes it depends. Um, sometimes women are single by choice. Sometimes it's same-sex couples. Sometimes it's it's um, two men. Um, I work with, you know, sort of whatever whatever comes mm-hmm. up, whoever shows up. And sometimes people will come together as a couple and a lot of times women are, it's not to say men are not invested, but because their bodies, their minds, they are so like firsthand involved with all of this kind of thing. Um, they tend to need the support. And, uh, I'm one of the only people that listens to them. The doctor, you know, they talk to them, but the doctor doesn't have a lot of time to spend. And nurses don't have a lot of time to spend. And acupuncturists a lot of times have three rooms going at a time. So they have a little time to talk and listen when they're putting in the needles. And uh, so, what? And, and you know, stereotypes. But women tend to be able to just hold so much more emotion than men. Mm-hmm. And so they can kind of fry their, you know, male partners. And uh, so that's part of something that I hold space for. So a lot of times they prefer to have that because that helps them in getting grounded, centered, balanced, and, you know, bringing, um, getting their lives back, you know, bringing that balance in for themselves. So sometimes the partners will show up or they will be part of it. And a lot of times it's, it's just the women. Back to the, you know, the indigo, the, the, um, pink starlight, what is it? Pink starlight, starlights, um, indigo children, star seeds, all of that. Um, why is that occurring? And is there a, you know, what, what is the, why, why is that happening now? Well, we are in a lot of trouble right now. Um, our poor earth is, um, in rough shape. Uh, we need to be balancing and bringing through, really bringing through and balancing divine feminine and sacred masculine. We've been way too far in a negative space with, um, not so sacred masculine. Okay. And we have that, and it's not boy, girl, you know, it's not man, woman. It's Mm -hmm. that patriarchal. And I know that's kind of a buzzword these days, but um, there's a lot of volatility and there's a lot of, um, power mongering. There's a lot of control. Um, there is what I say, uh, worshiping the God of greed and we're way out of whack. This, the pendulum has swung way too far. Now we do not need a matriarchy. We do not need to swing all the way. We need a balance. We need a yin yang. We need feminine, masculine. Um, and we need to care about where we live. I mean, the earth is alive. I mean, she's our mother. She is a being as is everything or everyone else who, you know, lives here, hangs out here, you know, trees, people, animals, rocks, you know, you name it. It's all a part of that. And we've just been abusing her and abusing people and animals for so long. Not all of us, but there's just so much of that. So that really is, I mean, I think, I think you've probably interviewed a lot of people that 
feel that um, shift that's happening and transformation. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are leaving. A lot of a lot of people, their energies aren't even able to you know navigate things as they're shifting right now. But that would be my answer to why there's so much of this. If the indigos came ahead to kind of start um, breaking things down. And it's been, you know, evolving since. And we have the age of Aquarius, right? I love astrology. I know some stuff. I have a great friend, though. She knows tons and tons. But that's been the shift. Pisces being to believe, Aquarius being to know. And with all that shifting, it's not something that happens overnight. You know, it's been happening. And I feel like that's a big part of it, too, is we are shifting to opening our eyes, seeing things differently. I like the saying, um, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Pretty sure we've been there, done that with our planet for a long time. Hmm. Do you think there are people walking around that are not human? Sure. If they're not human, then what are they? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I am... I guess you could call me in personality test, call me a lifelong learner. I read and I explore and I research. And so I could give you so many answers. I'm also not one to feel like what I think is necessarily going to be concrete or, you know, that's the last word on it. Um, but one of my degrees that I have, um, is in criminal psychopathology and it fascinates me. It absolutely fascinates me. And people um, people are often victimized because they cannot wrap their, their heads or minds around the fact that because they wouldn't do something, someone else wouldn't do it, you know? And so whether serial killers are, I don't know. I don't know. It fascinates me. It, it really fascinates me. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's, not everybody is a human. Um, but I also wonder, too, and I don't know if you've come across it in, in fertility, but, but cloning. Do you think they're cloning humans? I don't know. I'm sure that we could. I'm sure that we could. I wish I could clone myself. Um, that would come in handy when I'm, when I'm uh, overwhelmed with so much stuff to keep up with. But um, I'm, I'm sure that that's possible. That's not something I've given a ton of thought to, but I, I'm sure that that's possible. Well, that's one of the things that always scared me about in vitro fertilization is that you, you don't know if what you're receiving has been changed. Yeah, you don't. You don't. There's a, there's a whole... I don't know if it's a side or it's a, it's a huge piece of that, that you probably don't want to look too closely at, you know, sometimes I think, cause I do this because I love helping people and I, I love helping bring these babies through and help with, you know, this purpose, mm-hmm. but I could also switch gears and become a sci-fi writer with it. And I'm very aware of that. And there's a lot of things that have pushed boundaries and ethics and, and so forth. With all of that, in a way, you know, even in I guess it's all sort of off topic, but like, like let's say for example, my parents were not human. Then out here I am thinking I'm human, but I'm really not human because my parents weren't human. It's just so weird to me to think that that could be going on. Yeah. I mean, that just goes, I, I, my gosh, we could go so far and in so many directions with that. And it's like, there's just so much to know. I need to live here for a few hundred years because I'd like to explore a lot mm-hmm. of this. And, and there's just things that we don't know. I don't rule things out. And I'm usually, I can make decisions and I kind of know what I think or what feels right for me. And then at the same time, I sort of open-ended with things because we know what we know till we don't. And even with research, it's like research doesn't, a study doesn't prove anything. It indicates. And it indicates this is truth until it doesn't. And so, you know, who's to say? Who's the authority? Um, 
all sorts of possibilities. Right. I figure th- like this. If I'm able to think of it, then it has to have been done because I'm not really that smart of a guy. And there's a lot of people out there that are smarter than me. So I'm guessing if, if I'm able to think of it, somebody else has already done it. Maybe, or maybe you're you're tuning into the collective, you know, and, you know, collective um, archetypes. You know, we don't know where else we get some of this other information. So maybe somebody has done it. Um, with hypnofertility, amazingly, and I'm not saying nobody ever did it, but no one had turned it into a thing, a specialty, until I came to me and I said, okay, let's roll with it. I mean, we had hypnobirth and we had, you know, hypno-oncology and we had hypno this and hypno that. And of course, with hypnosis, people tend to attach hypno to it anyway. Um, but, you know, when I went back and did research, well, when I started doing the work, I couldn't find anything. There was no classes, no information, no people that I could find that were practicing it on the internet and books and all of that kind of thing. But there, when I did a lit review on it, on um, hypnosis and fertility, I found some research from the 40s, but it was pretty much dropped. And the whole direction they were going with that was totally different than what we would be experiencing now. So I'm not saying nobody else ever did it or didn't or did it before me or any of that kind of thing. I just know that there wasn't an emphasis on it until I started to really focus on it. Um, and that could be the collective because it's like when an idea comes to its time, there it is. Could be. Could be. Could be. Could be. And that's it, right? Could. Mm-hmm. Are you, have you ever considered using hypnosis on the baby while it's still in the womb? Sure, you can. Um, the babies respond to hypnosis. I mean, I do hypnosis with them when they're not here yet, mm-hmm. um, when they're in spirit form, when they're in the womb. Um, and mother and baby are so connected. And the connection is not that conscious level connection. So certainly you can. And I work with them after. I did quite a bit of pediatric hypnosis before, really much before, most of it before I really started to specialize in this because I just kind of ran out of uh, room for the various things. But I, I've worked with my pink starlights and um, and done some stuff with them for sure. And when they're little, two, three years old. Hmm. What do you think these pink starlights are going to be like when they mature? Well, I always say they're going to be the people, which isn't probably the best way to describe it because everybody's going to be the people. We're all going to be on this planet, but they're going to be very, they're very knowledgeable. And, you know, I think they're very psychic. We're very intuitive. Um, and they kind of know things ahead of what maybe we would know, mm-hmm. you know, some of us that are here. And like, I find my grandson, he's so advanced. Um, you know, he's doing things he's only four months old and he's months ahead. I mean, how many months can you be ahead when you're four months old? <laughs> he's months ahead of, of various milestones. And, and he's just so smart and you can just see it in him. And my other babies, you can, you can just see it. And I get these, um, you know, reports from, from parents. And so what are they going to be like? Um, I like to say that they're not going to be some of the people that we need to get rid of right about now. Um, some of the people that, you know, cause devastation or, you know, are just, I don't even know how to explain that, but hopefully people who are more, more aware, more open-minded, uh, more intelligent, a little bit more of everything in the positive. I think I'm going to say positive with that. Hmm. I, I wonder what, you know, like, like you say, like, you know, the purpose for them is to, is to, you know, all this is to save the planet. I wonder what happened to cause so much destruction that we've caused already. Like, what has gotten us to this point? I wish I knew. I mean, you know, when I was a little kid, I was always questioning um, anybody talking about the Bible. Well, that didn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense. And, hey, we're a lot older than, you know, 2,000 or 2,500 years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, oh, my gosh, I've turned myself insane wondering these things and thinking about these things. And 
I remember I was a little kid and I said to my, it was my dad or both of my parents, but I said, um, I said, well, white people are really mean. And I don't even know like where, why, how that came from, but I could see that, that there was like a hierarchy of some, some sort. And, and then it was like, I'm in that hierarchy and then men and women and then this and that. And so I was always wondering about these things, but I thought I could really just experience a lot of nastiness in it. So it's, it's so hard to see where did it begin? But I, I remember when I was little, I don't know, four, maybe five or six. And I was sitting out, out, um, front of my house, uh, by myself. I was sitting out on the front step, you know, with my, in the thinker position, you know, and my, my chin in my hand. Mm. And, and my dad was watching me out the window and, and he came out after me. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting for my people. He said, what do you mean you're waiting for your people? I said, I want my people to come. I don't belong here. And he laughed. And then I was very, like, you know, perturbed about that. I was like, insulted. How dare you laugh? My people will come at some point. They haven't yet, but, um, but he thought that was hilarious and just kind of went in the house, um, shaking his head. But I knew that whatever I was in, I didn't like and I didn't belong or I didn't fit or what else the situation was. I don't know. So I can't even really answer your question because I can go so many directions with it. You know, I wish we had absolutes, but we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> we got confusion. <laughs> oh, I would kill for an absolute. Just one. I would, too. I would like to have one answer. Just one, right? <laughs> Just one. Just one. Fascinating. So, um, before we wrap it up, um, is there anything that I missed? <laughs> that you'd like to, any final thoughts? my gosh, we just, we talked about so much and we opened so many directions, right? It's like, oh my gosh, we could just talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think so. I, I think it all kind of ties in. I think people have their, you know, different, I don't even like the word, you know, belief system. Um, but they have their different ways of processing and certain things speak to them. And, and, uh, part of it is the learning process and part of this stuff crashes down old ways of thinking um so yeah uh there's yeah there's just so much i'm i'm doing my best as these pink starlights have decided i'm supposed to get the word out um that they have a purpose and they kind of boss me around and so that's that's really um a big part of what i'm doing at this point awesome and um also before we finish, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your books? So they can find my books on Amazon. Uh, my website is hypnofertility.com. I am on Instagram, which is lindsay.eastburn, and then Facebook, hypnofertility. Awesome. So I'll put a link to your books and to your website in the notes of this episode. And thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. This was just really fun and just just really great to talk with you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, great. Uh, thank you. And hang on for a moment. And I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. Thank you.
listened to today. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio. Recording stopped.